What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? Joel Embiid is getting in there too. Mm. Did Did you see this stat line? I know he had 59. I haven't seen the rest of the stat line though. I but I also saw a tweet that he was like only a couple things away from like a quadruple quadruple double. So I've got a little bit of context, but please give me this. Give me the specifics. Since blocks became official in 1973-74, this is per at NBA history on Twitter. Joel Embiid uh-huh. is the first player in NBA history to record 50 plus points, 10 plus rebounds, five plus assists, and five plus blocks in a game. He had 26 points in the fourth quarter. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's quite the night. Did they win? They did, but only because of him. But but barely, right? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I think they won by let's see, eight or something, right? There's no, there, there's not enough incentive to score 59 points for them to. That's in. I might have to go and look. Of like the greatest, of the like the highest point scoring games of the last twenty years, how many games were won by like more than seven points? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they won by seven. Because the, I mean, like Kobe's eighty-one in the Raptors game against the Raptors was like he had to hit a shot late in the game to like seal it, mm-hmm. like. And and that was also right. a different situation where Kobe was just going to take as many shots as Kobe wanted, right? Right. Sure. But it, but to your point, uh, even that, right? It was still trying to actually win win the game, right? Um, but because right, there's just no. At, at some point, if you're up by twenty seven, you're going to be <laughs> taken out of the game, right? Right. Or, right. Or at least or the just, clock is going to be milked, and there's just yeah. not as many. You get other guys in, you're resting other guys, you're not right. really trying to win the game anymore, you've already won it. But I would be I would be curious. I would bet it was I, I would be willing to bet it's closer than than maybe I even think it would have been. But yeah. that is a gross stat. <laughs> or, you know, you just don't care enough about the difference between thirty four and forty two. Right. Right. Because it's not like it's not like most of these you're going for eighty. It's forty nine or forty six or whatever. Why? Because you gotta continue to Right, you're not going to be looking for your shot up 15 with two minutes left because you have 32. I know you need to get to 34. Right. Unless, you know, maybe it's your career high or something. But somebody like a Giannis or a LeBron or an Embiid, they, they've done that before. Right. Hmm. They're not, yeah. I think that's absolutely true that when you look back at that stuff, yeah, a lot of it is because, well, they needed the points. <laughs> Their team yep. needed the points. Exactly. 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 Um, man, that's, that's quite the stat line. Um, we're a week into the college basketball season. If you've been here before, you know that every every Monday, every every first pod of the week, we do a winners and losers segment from the week prior. And uh, today is the first installment of that. The first, the first second pod, the first first reactions pod of the week for the college basketball season. And uh, seven days in, we actually have some things to to point towards in terms of winners and losers. We'll do it every week, all the way up until it's very, very obvious who the winners and losers are, because the winners won their NCAA tournament games, and the losers lost their NCAA tournament games, and are no longer playing college basketball for the season. But with that being said, with the groundwork being laid, Mr. Doring, your first winner of the college basketball season. 
the Big Ten Conference. Okay. First, currently listed third among conferences in Ken Palm, which is not necessarily where you would have expected the Big Ten to be. I honestly don't know how much that has changed over the first week, but I don't think a lot of people were pointing to the Big Ten Big Ten as the third best conference in the country. The conference's only loss was one we're going to discuss in which Michigan State almost beat Gonzaga on an aircraft carrier, which means they are the only high major conference to not be embarrassed in some way, shape, or form yet. So when I was kind of looking at a way to encapsulate all of this, that was the thing that stuck out to me is some conferences have had good moments, right? We haven't had that many high-profile matchups. But there's also everybody else has those head-scratching losses where you're trying to figure out what just happened. Or in the case of, for example, Tennessee, a disappointing one that hurts that conference's overall resume. And so really the thing for me about the Big Ten is, you know, we've talked about this consistently. The importance of non-conference is what it sets up for your conference games when you can't change how people feel about your conference. And we're going to have plenty of time for this to change with the Big Ten considering the quality of opposition this conference is going to continue to face, starting mm-hmm. with Michigan State in the Champions Classic and going down the list, you know, the next and the month Gavin and a games half. This week, and the Gavin right, games. Exactly, right, exactly, right. So across the, across the conference, we're going to get much better competition here. My point just being, this is a conference that it was really important to improve your narrative heading into conference play, right? Where people thought this was going to be a down season for the Big Ten that the Big Ten doesn't have those high-level teams that can really compete with the best teams in the country. Maybe Mm -hmm. that ends up being the case. But the Big Ten is in a much better spot now where it's much more a conversation a week into the season, granted, of look at all these teams who really could possibly make the NCAA tournament in this conference, and look at all these teams doing their job. And now, if if you can build on that with a good showing this week across the Gavit games and – Champions Classic and all this stuff that's starting to ramp up, all of a sudden you can have a very different conversation about the Big Ten in a month or, you know, two months when conference play really gets going. Because mm-hmm. the Big 12 doesn't need to prove itself in non conference. The Big 12 just needs to do its job. The Big Ten had something to prove this season. And basically, by just winning the games they were supposed to, they're off to a good start doing that. So they're my winner. Yeah, I think the. The goal in week one, especially this week one, exactly, was to not get yourself embarrassed. Yep. Um, and Michigan got close to getting their self embarrassed, but sure. I would also argue that the story wouldn't have been Michigan had lost to Eastern Michigan. That's right? correct. Which is an important part of the narrative, right? And is also why my winner is Monty Bates. Mm, this was okay. my because I like that. Like, like, th- there's an argument that he should stop playing college basketball right now because he sure. put himself back into the first round of the NBA draft with that performance. Yep. And if you're if you're unfamiliar with what he did, 30 points, 12 of 19 shooting. Josh, the three, the step back three he hit is the most disrespectful shot attempt <laughs> I've ever seen in college basketball. Like genuinely, um, like he he passed up a better th- three point look. Like when he caught the ball, he arguably already had a better look, and he shot faked and took one step. It, it was gross. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
and and right, he was three of six from the three point line. It wasn't just that he was twelve of nineteen from the field. Um, it's been really really weird last couple of years for Imani Bates in a lot of different ways, and I at some point either he was going to need to show up in some way, shape, or form, or I mean, I guess he's he. I mean, I'm sure he was going to be drafted. Even if he doesn't have this game, he gets drafted somewhere in the second round just because he's Imani Bates, and and somewhere under the hood is what he did on, uh, you know, last week against Michigan. Um, but I think as long as he like he put himself back squarely on prospects maps, and as long as he continues to be really solid for Eastern Michigan throughout the year. Um, and Eastern's only played once so far. So right now he's averaging 30 points a game. Um, he, I believe he did not oh, play sorry, in their opener. Sorry, sorry, he did not play in their opener. Yeah. My bad. He's only played in one game. Either way, he's averaging 30 points a game. Um, and he seems to be, I mean, if he's going to do that to Michigan, I doesn't seem all that out of the realm of possibility that he put himself on the map with a performance like this. And then as long as he can stay healthy and, you know, stay out of trouble that he can go and average somewhere in the mid to upper twenties during the season. And then he's back on people's radars, but that wasn't, it was important to do it in a game like that, where by the end of it, everybody was watching because it was Michigan because it was an, um, an easy game to find and watch. Um, so, Frankly, in a com- I mean, there were some losers, obviously. There were some losers that were easy to pick from. Um, for the most part, I'm not all that interested in making teams that beat up on a bunch of teams they should have beat up on winners. Um, right. So in terms of a guy, right, the, the, the whole idea of this is to teams that really change or players that really change to their situation. And um, to your point with the Big Ten, right, it's it's shifted the conversation a little bit. Um, and, like, the top teams, like, Indiana has looked really, really good. And um, But Amani Bates, I think, truly changed his place in the 2023 draft. And if nothing else, put him back in, the, in, in at least, if not the very center of the conversation with some of those, you know, guys at the very top, um, then center adjacent and a guy that people are going to – really talk about again which is a good thing for his draft stock yeah and the couple teams i thought about from a winner didn't even have a great overall week they had a great moment and a great win right and so that i was struggling with a winner too right because a lot of it was well they looked good doing what they were supposed to congratulations you want a cookie Mm -hmm. you know yeah i'm right there with you maybe maybe we should have had foster maybe foster lawyers (laughs) but to your point, I get two things I want to add about Amani. One, right, not only the draft implications, but also just the national prominence of mm-hmm. what he did, where he did it, and who he did it against. That was what people were talking about in college basketball, as you were kind of alluding to. All of a sudden, people are going to – it took one game for people to now be invested in Amani Bates this season. One game yep. where if you had forgotten about it, if you had kind of dismissed him – you know, nobody was going was sure he was just going to walk into Eastern Michigan and do that. Mm-hmm. And now you you see what all of the hype has been about for so long. You go, oh, this dude really is different. If he can keep this going, and this is the situation for whatever reason he just needed to be in to to get the most out of him. 
Mm. And then second, also from Eastern's perspective of just being able to fill that arena, right? Again, of the immediate impact of it. Everybody is now going to be interested in Eastern this season. And I've already talked, it was before this game, but I already talked with friends from home saying, I want to over when I'm home for Christmas or something, I want to see if I can find a way to go an Eastern game just to watch them. And there's going to be plenty of people because of what he means to Ypsilanti in that area that are going to feel that way that wouldn't care about Eastern Michigan basketball otherwise. But now you see that against Michigan with Juwan Howard basically saying, yeah, he looked like an NBA player out there. And it's, it's a massive win across the board for his future, for right now, for the sport, for Eastern, all of it. Yeah, that I'm kind of frustrated I didn't think of. He was one of the <laughs> other things I wanted to discuss, and I'm kind of frustrated I didn't make him my winner because certainly from our definition, he is clearly the singular choice for this week. I kind of cheated yes. a little bit and just went with the Big Ten, but I like that a lot better. You know, I, I'm much more into the into this slight cheating in this particular week than, you know, picking pick team that had a really great week against two really bad teams. Right. Um, who is on the other side of things? Who is your loser? Oh, we had some good choices for this one. We did so have I some have, good choices for this one. I have a loser and an honorable mention. Okay. My loser is Florida State. Okay. We talked about Florida State losing to Stetson at home. Florida State then proceeded to lose to UCF by 14 on the road. Mm-hmm. Those two teams shot 21 of 50 from three-point range against Florida State, which is not something you normally associate with Leonard Hamilton teams, is teams nope. shooting you know, 42% from three. They lost the rebounding battle in both of those games. One of it was close. One of them, if I remember correctly, it was not close at all. All of these things that you just sort of take for granted that Florida State with a decent amount of talent is going to be able to do with right the athleticism, the size, all of those things. They're just fundamentally not doing a good job right now. And Mm -hmm. for a team that at least I was high on and expecting to be back into the, well, there goes Florida State again. You know, maybe they can't get to a final four, but they're going to win 12 plus ACC games. They're going to be in the top 25. You're not going to want to play against them. This is already going down a path like last season where they were a complete non-factor and Maybe it gets even worse than that. Now, of course, they got plenty of time to turn it around. But nobody, for me, took a bigger hit in terms of perception of where they stand within the NCAA tournament, which is ultimately what this segment is about, than Florida State with those two losses. That's a good one. That's a really good one. And one that was more surprising than some of these than some of these other yes. really bad weeks. Um, but... Right, I mean, there, there, not very many worse ways to start than than losing two games to mid-major teams and losing two games that you never really felt like. I mean, like the final scores are eighty-three seventy-four and sixty-eight fifty-four. Those aren't yep. games you had a chance to win in the last minute, right? right? Um, now I don't, I didn't watch the very end of the Stetson game. Maybe it was a three-point game with. 90 seconds left and they missed a couple shots and sets and just hit their free throws down the stretch. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe they did have a chance to win, but I definitely know you didn't have a chance to beat UCF if you lost by 14. Um, and there are two types of types of demoralizing bad weeks to start the season. One, it's losing two games. You didn't have any chance to win. And then 
on the flip side, it's what happened to Louisville, who is my loser, who lost two games by a total of two points. Mm-hmm. They lost to Bellarmine 67-66 and Wright State 73-72. Trey Calvin hit a game winner in the second of the two games. And right, and they had a chance to win the Bell. They had the the ball, they had the last possession against against Bellarmine and couldn't get it done there either. Um, They are. Right, you're 0-2 with losses to those two teams. The season is basically already over. Not that we thought Louisville was going to make the tournament this year, but especially when like the air just gets taken out of the tires so fast for Kenny Payne, right? Yep. It's and I'm sure at some point Louisville will be fine, but with how weird the last few seasons have been between Chris Mack and that like super awkward what ended up being a super awkward relationship there and of course Rick Patino and feeling like you know there's absolutely nothing you know feeling like you're taking the brunt of what happened with Rick Patino instead of Rick Patino taking the brunt of it whether that means actual allegations whether that means actual repercussions or just you feel like you're right. If Rick Pitino was still there, your program would be in a better spot. Um, but that's just a demoralizing way to start your, to, to start the season, to start your tenure as a head coach. And if there was any level of excitement in Louisville for the men's basketball team this year, like any level, it's completely gone. Right. And now it's, man, I hope we don't lose to Appalachian state. And then you get to go play, and then, you know, after they play Appalachian State um, tomorrow, Tuesday the 15th, they get Arkansas, then they get Maryland and Miami, then they get Florida State, then they get a Western Kentucky team that is way better than both Bellarmine and Wright State. Yep. Um, so, I mean, if you told me that we're going to look up at the end, in, in the middle of December, and Louisville is 0-6, or 0-7, I... I wouldn't be stunned. And even the people, even the lowest of of expectations for Louisville would not include them being in a staring a really, really bad start to the season in the eyes. That the, you know, even the worst of teams probably could have found a way to be two and zero against Bellarmine and Wright State, right? And then the wheels can really start to fall off after that. But you don't even get to start from a place of two and zero with Louisville, and in a very demoralizing. And then you add the fact that you lost a exhibition game on top of it, and there's just no reasons to be excited whatsoever. I mean, LLS has 30 points, and you still can't beat Wright State. I mean, come on. There's not a ton to to look forward to there. So they're my loser for obvious reasons, and then also just the demoralization of that, of that week is just so... Now it's just coming to work every day and trying to find a way to be... To, to try apply yourself to this season that is clearly already gone. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the positive spin on it is you knew this was going to take some time anyway. So this puts even less pressure on Kenny Payne because clearly it's not going to be an easy fix, right? He's not going to be able to just sort of work unless something miraculous happens here. So this idea of, okay, we're just going to get a mulligan in season one. He's going to 
get this experience of what it actually means to run a program. He's going to learn some lessons from this. Hopefully they can start getting better. So you're building the foundation for next season, right? There are still things to play for, but from, like you said, Kenny Payne was a, this was a big name, a big hire because of the connections. It was, it was exciting. It was supposed to be Louisville. Louisville is back to being where Louisville is supposed to be. And yeah, to lose two games like that, you know, right. At least one of Florida, Florida States was UCF. Which, if I tell you you lose to UCF, it wouldn't be stunning. There's just no reason Louisville should have lost either of those games. I went with Florida State just because the point you made that there was only so much expectation I had for Louisville, where I had a much higher expectation for Florida State. But absolutely, those are the two teams that stood out to me in terms of just really, really, really bad starts to the season. Yes, very unfortunate. Winners and lo- oh, real oh. quick, your honorable mention. Yes, uh, I almost went with the Pac-12 as my loser. Mm. Colorado beating Tennessee kind of talked me out of it, but you know they're going toe to toe with the SWAC. I mean, toe to toe with the SWAC, as in uh-huh. the SWAC is holding their own against some of these Pac-12 teams. Arizona State loses to Texas Southern. Oregon lost to UC Irvine, and USC right had that early loss to Florida Gulf Coast. We already talked about. And the other, I was almost, if Stanford had won, Stanford was going to be my winner, but Stanford doesn't come that close to beating Wisconsin. Now that was a game at a baseball field in Milwaukee, which was just strange. The point being, it was basically a home game for Wisconsin, but from Stanford, this is the one team I did want to mention here specifically. You go from, okay, Michael Jones has this great first game. Andre Stoyakovich commits to your program. So you got this great recruiting class coming in next season. You got the guy that was you were really hoping to land. All this excitement. Can they finally actually translate it into wins and start building this thing where you're, you know, you're excited about the future, your trajectory is looking up because we're off to a good start. We beat a decent Wisconsin team. We just landed Stoyakovich. And then they lost to Wisconsin. And the question still is can they beat good teams and put together enough wins to actually make the NCAA tournament? It just hmm kind of deflated what could have been a phenomenal week so yeah the pack 12 just it's been rough yeah there are some there's some things that are just obviously going to be the way that they are in the pack 12 especially the bottom of that conference and then of course you have oregon right you you really need and we've talked about this before the top of the pack 12 to be really good to kind of lift the floor as much as possible they can't afford to especially in the conversation of how many ncaa tournament teams are they going to get you can't have oregon losing by games to uc irvine you just can't have it that is correct okay let's talk let's talk the aircraft carrier game because apparently we need to have basketball games on aircraft carriers um yeah what is with this outdoor thing i don't know i don't know because the Stanford Wisconsin game was at the Brewers baseball stadium because it's not like you can sell forty thousand tickets to the game. They just put stands right around it in the middle of the field, right? Right. It's I, anyways. Um, I find it unnecessary, and I understand the the pull of a of you know getting to market that a game is being played on an aircraft carrier, but we can also market it if we want to do it in conjunction with the armed forces. Then let's put it on a military base in a, in a, where like in a, in a hangar on an, on a military base. Like there are yeah. ways to do it without 
having to worry about the wind direction on a boat. Um, you put it, put it actually on land. Is that what right. you're suggesting? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I would prefer that. Yes. I mean, because what you get is you get two teams that combine go four. I mean, excuse me, seven of, uh, seven of 44. <laughs> no. Seven of 34, seven of 34 from the three point line. Um, both teams shot worse than sixty five percent from the free throw line. And you can see the you can see the videos of like shots literally going sideways from the free throw line, um, or at least or at least favoring one side or the other from the free throw line. Um, it's fine. It's it's fine and dandy. But Gonzaga gets narrowly escapes Michigan State sixty four sixty three. The Spartans had a seven point lead at halftime Gonzaga comes back to win 64 63 drew Timmy doing drew Timmy things 22 13 and four on nine of 14 shooting um it was a slow day for anybody who shoots further away than a couple (laughs) of feet from the basket because we're on a freaking boat but um I didn't watch a lot of this game because I was preoccupied by a different sporting event (laughs) Josh did watch this game and has a much more a much better idea of what actually went on. So I I have things and I'll just kind of piggyback off of you. So what what's the what's the most important thing to know about this game? Yeah, first I just have a hard time taking too much away from this because, like you said, it was an aircraft carrier and mm-hmm. it was just kind of strange. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to freak out either way about either of these teams. The The two big things, and then I'll kind of go to my smaller points, but the two big things for me were, one, this to me looked like one of those Michigan State teams that makes a run in March. That you don't exactly know how they're doing what they're doing, but all of a sudden you look up and they have a seven, right? It's exactly what they did against that Zion Williamson Duke team. You're just not entirely sure how it's happening, but it just kind of is. And Michigan State doesn't usually do that to open a season. So that is a really positive, scary thing for the rest of the Big Ten if this is the starting point. Because, like, I mean, they shot the ball terribly because both teams shot the ball terribly. But keeping Gonzaga out of transition, which is essential in a game like this where nobody can shoot, right? You got to stop them from getting easy buckets. And the other part of this was Drew Timmy was quiet until – the foul started mounting up and Joey Hauser and Monty Sissoko both ended up on the bench. Then all of a sudden you have nobody to guard Drew Timmy and Drew Timmy just ate up the offensive glass. He was scoring at will. I mean, I think it was Jackson Kohler. He, he just put him in a spin cycle one time, got an and one out of it. He, it looked like he was just, you know, taking a walk. It, Jackson Kohler is obviously not ready to guard Drew Timmy. So you had your one or maybe two guys that could guard him. They end up in foul trouble, which Timmy certainly had something to do with. And all of a sudden you look up and his stat line is terrific. Well, I don't think that does justice to what Michigan State did defensively. They could only do it for 30 minutes, though. And then all of a sudden here comes Gonzaga. He's carrying this run and they find a way to ultimately hang on for the win. The other thing I will say from a Gonzaga standpoint, I would be much more concerned if they won this game 91 to 90 than 64, 63. First of all, you can explain the offense in part because of the circumstances we've discussed a lot at this point. And secondly, just 
I trust those players in Mark View to figure out how to get things a little bit cleaner offensively. Mm-hmm. If you're starting with that kind of defense, and again, admittedly, the circumstances helped, but that's always been the question about Gonzaga, right? Is is their defense good enough? Nobody is worried about this offense. I am not going to worry about this offense because they played one game against a good team and didn't look spectacular. So does it make me a little bit less confident in my Gonzaga national championship prediction? Slightly, one or 2%, but I'm not worried about Gonzaga at all. I would, I would much rather have them struggle offensively than defensively because, you know, they're not playing on aircraft carriers the rest of the game and the rest of the season. And this is game number one. Those were really my takeaways. I was much more impressed with some of the things Michigan State was able to do than worried about the things Gonzaga didn't do as well as you would have expected. Um, the only thing that kind of jumps off the page here for me is just continuing to monitor depth for Gonzaga. Um, I mean, Malachi Smith, I mean, there were a bunch of guys that were good in their dismantling of North Florida in their first game. Um, but just kind of monitoring and, and the Gonzaga rotation has never been super deep, right? I mean, that's, that's never been something that they do. Um, even if they did have 10 players that would probably be helpful for depth, it's, Mark View tends to have a tighter rotation than mm-hmm. than some uh than most. But in this particular game, right, you had four guys come off the bench. You had three really play. Malachi Smith played starters minutes. He played 30 minutes. Um he only had five points, two of five from the field. Like I said, like like you've pointed to, I'm not all that worried about their their offense. Um but I also don't think their offense is as bulletproof as it has been in years past and that they could benefit from bench production like every team can. But there's not, right, Andrew Nimhard came off the bench for this team once upon a time, right? That's mm-hmm. the level of bench guy. You're gonna, We know that he's going to produce every single game for us kind of guys that have come off the bench, and that's part of why the depth hasn't been all that necessary you know, going super deep into the bench because the first couple guys off the bench are just that good that it's not that big of a deal. But, um, and I'm sure like Malachi Smith had a good, had had a good first game against North Florida, but against high major opponents, that's just something I'm keeping an eye on um, as we move forward. Yeah. And if you just think about it, right, you're, unless I'm missing somebody, you're three guys who are proven bucket getters against high major opponents obviously timmy obviously julian strother and rasier bolton mm-hmm. right but outside of that anton watson has played anton anton watson does what he does right but he's just not a scorer mm-hmm. so you're talking about salas and hickman and smith whereas it you know last season it was well imagine what can happen if these freshmen are really good right away mm-hmm. this season it is these guys need to be good for this team to win a national championship because, to your point, there aren't five proven scorers out there. There are three. Right. Right. And so that is definitely something to pay attention to as Gonzaga continues this stretch and plays other really good teams here is are you getting three or four good performances a night or are you getting six guys who are giving you double figures, basically, where 
it exactly. looks a little bit closer. Because I'm I'm with you that the the firepower is not as scary as in years past. But it might end up that they end up better defensively. And we talk all the time about this on the podcast that you have to be elite defensively to win a national championship. So maybe it ends up working out that little bit of sacrifice you make with not being quite as dynamic offensively. We'll have to see. We shall have to see. But um, 64-63, a good close game on an aircraft carrier, albeit. Um, any other reactions before quickly before we move towards the happenings of this coming week? Real quick. So I mentioned Tennessee earlier. That was that was my concern about the offense. That was just ugly. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one game, and I think there's a real argument. Look, that's just going to happen sometimes. It happened last season, right? It, it it happened last season, and it just sort of scarred me when, in all actuality, it probably shouldn't have, considering what they ended up looking like heading into the NCAA tournament. But it's, to me, it's just part of the reality, and it's why I have a hard time saying they're going to be the best team in the SEC, no matter how valid the argument is that you laid out in terms of picking them. That So I think it's almost a good thing that it could there's a real chance. It's just one of those games where they can't score. They'll be just fine. They'll hold, you know, the next five teams they play to 52 points. And we won't think too much about this by the end of the season. And maybe Colorado sort of surges up the pack 12 and it ends up being a pretty decent loss at the end of the day. But I did want to mention that. And then the other thing, Villanova does not lose to Philly schools. Mm. It doesn't happen. I believe the uh, the last loss was 2018, and that was the fir- first one in a decade, only other one in a decade or something like that. Those numbers might not be exact, but they they don't lose these games. And now, again, nowhere near full strength. I mean, Chris Ar- Archidiakno was out there playing a key role, and that was not what was supposed to happen this season, and it's not what's going to happen when everybody is healthy. Mm-hmm. But losing that game in particular, not a great start for Kyle Neptune. Again, I'm not overly concerned. It's just noteworthy because when you're talking about can Villanova continue without Jay Wright, what does Villanova look like in the post-Jay Wright era? One of the staples of Villanova being one of the premier programs in the country is these Philly 5 games in the Philly 5 competition was not competitive. (laughs) All I'm saying is that Jay Wright lost his third ever game as a head coach of Villanova to LaSalle. Yes. A Philly school. Right. Sure. Right. It took time to get there, but that's just one of the barometers I look at in terms of where Villanova is. And I'm not freaking out at all. I'm not saying this is some sort of big commentary on the kind of coach Kyle Neptune is. I think they're going to be just fine. Just wanted to point that out that that's a thing that once Jay Wright got this thing going, very rarely did they lose one of these games. But it's great for basketball in the city of Philadelphia. It's great for these tremendous historic rivalries because. It's been so non-competitive that I feel like it's kind of lost a little bit of its its luster. So to get a Temple win in a game like this with all this focus on Villanova and the post-Jay Wright era is great for the sport for me. I just wanted to mention that as one of the other interesting results early for a team that we have high expectations for and is nowhere near healthy. So again, every chance in the world, this ends up meaning very little by the end, but wanted to at least point that out those are my things yeah i mean it's exactly what we it's exactly what we talked about i mean until until they get some of these other guys back if caleb if caleb daniels isn't great they're gonna struggle they just Mm -hmm. are um and 
and their bench will get better as the guys who should be coming off the bench get to go back to the bench. Right. But I mean, their bench played a whopping total combined of 39 minutes and really only two guys played off the bench and they accrued a total of five points and took five shots combined, all four of the guys that came off the bench. So um, like you said, I, I don't have any interest in overreacting to Villanova losing to Temple in the second game of Kyle Neptune's career, because also like, right. This is not the team that Kyle Neptune thought he was going to coach, right? There's, it would be silly for him to prepare in the off season to coach this right. basketball team. But, and it's not the team he is going to coach. Right. So, um, but with that being said, right, Caleb Daniels was spectacular in game one. They didn't have any issues. He was only six of 16. He did have 19 points, but it was an inefficient 19 points. It took him 16 shots to get there. And there's just not, and the guard play just isn't, isn't there yet. Right. I mean, Chris Archidiakono is clearly not Ryan Archidiakono and neither is, you know, neither is Jordan Lingino. I mean, it's, it's just, it's definitely not the team that we'll eventually see there. I mean, hopefully we'll see it. Right. I mean, Justin Moore could come back and not be great. And Cam Whitmore could also come back and not be great. Right. I mean, like, but hopefully that's not the case and they get a more complete team that also then brings more depth because the guys who were supposed to add the depth get to go back to the bench. Yep. I really think this is going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride, but you look up in February and you look up at that bracket on Selection Sunday, and you go, yep, that is the team I do not want to play as a three or four seed or whatever it might be. Yep. You got anything else before we talk Champions Classic? No, let's jump in. All righty. Prime time, ESPN on Tuesday night, starting at 7, Kentucky versus Michigan State. These games are in Indianapolis, by the way. Um, Kentucky versus Michigan State at 7 o'clock. The, the Wildcats, the number four team in the AP poll, and then we get Duke, number seven Duke, against number six Kansas in the in the nightcap at nine thirty. I suppose it makes the most sense to go in chronological order, um, starting with Kentucky and Michigan State. Um, right, there's now a a level of right. You look at this, especially six days ago, and it was okay. Kentucky is clearly the the favorite here, and is probably still the favorite here. Um, but what Michigan State did against Gonzaga makes this, if nothing else, a little bit more intriguing um, as a team that, to your point, did a pretty good job against Drew Timmy, another one of the country's best bigs, and, uh, until there was some foul trouble there. But um, this is the early game. What say, what say you? Excuse me. Yeah, I'm. Well, most of this comes down to whether Oscar Sheboy actually plays or not, right? <laughs> that, it seems, that seems to be a game-time decision kind of situation there if he doesn't play i'm interested in this because it's going to be a completely different kind of test for michigan state than the one they just got right for the exact reason you just said if it's if shiboy does play and shiboy is somewhat close to 100 percent, then it's the same idea you got to stop the interior first but if he doesn't play this becomes a guard game and that's where i ultimately think this game is going to be won or lost is tyson walker aj hogard can they hang with all of the weapons Kentucky has on the perimeter because you take out Sheboy and it's very perimeter oriented, right? And from a Kentucky standpoint, 
can they, I mean, 51.2% from three point range so far, not great opposition. And again, you're talking about a different setup because Shibway hasn't been there, but if they keep shooting the ball at 38, 39% Mm -hmm. and Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick keep doing what they're doing, that changes the discussion around this team and changes this team's ceiling. So to me, it's just kind of an interesting matchup because Shibway changes so much about the way this game is going to be played for me. And if if he does play, it's the same thing Michigan State did against Gonzaga. You've got to stop him. you got to stop the interior first and then hope you can hang on the perimeter. But if he doesn't play, it's the guys who are going to take more shots are going to be those guards and those wings. Mm-hmm. So you need your guards to be really, really good because Michigan State doesn't have that many productivity, right? There's no Gabe Brown this season. Right. Pierre Brooks has shown some really good signs, but you're you're built with – and Joey Hauser also, that's the other thing I'll say. Joey Hauser has to be much, much better. He was a non-factor because of foul trouble against Kentucky – or against Gonzaga. That can't be the case against Kentucky. Yeah. I, I There are a couple things, like you said, depending on – what the personnel looks like for Kentucky here, because I I won't be stunned if I like Kentucky less when Shibai comes back from a from a just kind of getting a bunch of three pointers, putting their shooters in good spots. Um, because right, Shibai is that good that when he's in the game, you have to operate around him. You just do, and so it'll be another right. It'll be another test for Michigan State on the interior, if he does play along with what does Kentucky, how do, and and maybe I shouldn't jump to the conclusion that I think I might like it less, but what are the, how do we compare and contrast Kentucky in the first two games with Kentucky with Oscar Sheboy on the floor? Um, Especially when it comes to the the type of look, because in theory, right, if they're all worried about Oscar Sheboy, then the looks for CJ Frederick and AJ Reeves, should Anto- Antonio better. Reeves? Antonio Reeves. Sorry, why did I say AJ? Providence. Ah, uh, okay. Um, sorry, my bad. Um, <laughs> those looks in theory get better, right? right? In theory. Um, but also, I mean, w- I I'd say a lot of things about Oscar Sheway before I talk about how great his passing is, and so like, how are we optimizing the fact that they have to spend so much time and effort? on Shibway in the interior. Um, but then you're right, right? I mean, Kentucky's guards have looked really, really good. Case and Wallace has looked spectacular. Um, and they're going to throw a lot at those Michigan State guards. So um, can, especially if Kentucky shoots it well, can Michigan State even kind of keep up with the, with that type of production? Um, and do they actually look like a team that is, are they the reason that, teams aren't that high major teams aren't going to shoot it well or did Gonzaga just happen to not have a great night and any team that does have a good night shooting they're not really able to keep up with the firepower of some of the best teams in the mm-hmm. sport and I'm also interested from Kentucky's standpoint whenever Sheboy comes back and kind of becomes himself again how quickly and effectively can they transition the way they play mm-hmm. to to your point of what we were just discussing this idea of it changes so much when he's in the game. And so you have to think completely different if you're Cason Wallace with the ball in your hands, if you're Savi Wheeler with the ball in your hands. If you're right, one of these shooters who 
you know, maybe you're not attacking the basket quite as much because you're just camping out knowing the defense is going to collapse, whether it's because of penetration from the ball handlers or because Sheboy being a monstrous human being in there. That, but you don't have to think about how am I going to get to the basket? I'm just going to sit here on the three-point line. And it's right to your role. If you're CJ Frederick, your role changes a little bit because you have Sheboy in there. So that's the other part of this moving forward is from a, a long-term conversation, you got to figure out how to get the most out of this group of players. You're getting an awful lot out of the ones on the floor right now. Can you continue to get that with everything Sheboy gives you? Or is there a price you're paying, like you were sort of talking about liking this team better without him, when you have to refocus everything on playing through him and playing inside out? That might not pertain to this game at all. It may pertain quite a bit to this game, depending on how things go. But that was the other thing I'm thinking about Kentucky is, right, this is all about getting to the end point and being at your best for an NCAA tournament run. And you got to figure out what that looks like and whether you can actually get there. Precisely. Precisely. Um, Anything else on this particular game? No. And then the nightcap. Kansas, Duke, number seven versus number six. Um, neither team has had all that eventful of a begin to their season. Kansas has an 89-64 win over Omaha and an 82-59 win over North Dakota State. Um, John Shire's Blue Devils also doing what John Shire's Blue Devils should do to bad basketball teams. They beat Jacksonville 71-44. They beat South Carolina Upstate. 84 to 38. Um, I, so, I suppose you got to start where the conversation should start. And that's, this is John Shire's first big test, right? Against Kansas. Um, and, and maybe just the coaches in general, right? I mean, Kansas without their fearless leader, Bill Self, um, John Shire, his first big test. I mean, with all due respect to South Carolina upstate, not exactly a big yeah. test. Um, not, not exactly the uh, John Calipari Tom Izzo coaching matchup. Right. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Um, so the sidelines look different, but these are two teams that have left very little up to question against the the lesser mid-major teams that they've played thus far. Yeah. This one is really interesting from a roster construction standpoint, I guess, for me in terms mm-hmm. of how does Kansas handle this size, right? This is not a big Kansas team. Mm-hmm. They're somewhat long. They're kind of tall, but they're not big, mm-hmm. right? They don't have Yudoka Azabuki in there. It's six 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 seven six eight six nine guys. Duke <laughs> is monstrous. Yep. And you know, Derek Lively was... Limited against ST Upstate, four points, two rebounds in 14 minutes. So what kind of role does he play? But even without him, Ryan Young, Kyle Filipowski, doing just fine. Mark Mitchell. (laughs) Yes. All these big guys. So that's the first thing I'm really curious about is, A, from a Kansas standpoint, can you deal with it? And B, the question I've always had about this Duke team is, can you make this work with all of this size? Mm-hmm. It it's sort of a strange roster construction once you get everybody kind of up and running and healthy, which they're still working on at this point. But 
what does what does this ultimately look like with all of these ginormous talented guys between six nine and seven feet tall <laughs> mm. and then the other the other thing I'll throw out there is Jalen Wilson clearly the best player on the floor because mm. I think there's a real argument he's clearly the best player in this game at least at this moment in time and Duke's gonna win the freshman battle just from a sheer numbers standpoint and from a talent standpoint. And Kevin McCuller has not been great yet for Kansas. So just kind of going down the list of other options, Jalen Wilson for me is going to go a a long way towards determining how this game goes. Because if he's not great, I'm not sure Kansas has enough with what Duke is offering and what we've seen from some of these players so far. Don't forget about Grady Dick. Right. Um, for on, on the Kansas side of things, has has had a pretty good start. Yeah, that, that's season. why I said Duke's gonna he's gonna be a factor. Duke's gonna win the freshman contribution battle, though, just from a sheer numbers standpoint. More than likely, yeah. yeah. But he, uh, if he right, if he ends up being the best freshman, then that changes the conversation a little bit. Yeah, because he has been good. Um, right. I think this game probably comes down to which of which team's perimeter players are better. Um. Because I mean, right? We'll see about lively, or 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 which team's best position group is is better. Um, I like that Jeremy Roach is off to a really good start from a facilitation and kind of being the leader of this team perspective. Um, Thirteen points, six assists, turnovers at two and a half. But when you're doing all the facilitating, those things are going to happen. Um, yeah, I am. I'm I'm very curious when it comes to how Duke handles this right Mark Mitchell 68 perimeter wing guy like you'll put him somewhere on the perimeter in terms of on the defensive end but then after that it's a question of Kansas is a pretty versatile team with a lot of guys that do a lot of just stuff and Duke has right Kyle Filipowski has obvious limitations jeremy roach is a is a true guard does Derek lively make a big impact i mean he had four points in 14 minutes so we just don't know what the Derek lively version especially against a good team really looks like um and how when you add another guy that that is that big to the floor how that kind of impacts the rotation and impacts um what the what the team looks like on the floor yeah, I, this is a really, really interesting matchup in terms of identifying some potential strengths and weaknesses for these two teams. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's going to be a lot coming away from this game that we can sort of use moving forward to talk about what might be these teams' downfalls and what they're going to look like the rest of the way where I didn't feel like there was that much from the Kentucky or sorry, the Gonzaga Michigan state game, for example, Hmm. I feel like this is going to give us because they're so the rosters are constructed so differently. It's going to give us some good insight. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Anything else on this game? I think that was, yeah, that's all I had. All right. We need a, I need a prediction from you from both games for both games, Michigan, Michigan state versus Kentucky. Kentucky. Close. I'll go Kentucky 72-65. I'll say 
75-70. Okay. The Blue Devils versus the Jayhawks. Duke, 78-68. 78-68, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Duke, by the way, 7-4 and four in the Champions Classic. That's the best record of any team uh, in the event. They are 1-2 and two against Kansas, though. So not um, not quite as lucrative against against the Jayhawks. Um, that, that, that's real quick. That's one of my favorite. Our, our esteemed friend Chris Brown and I were talking about this one time. That was one of my favorite stats. What does that actually have? And it's you know it's worth mentioning in the context of this competition. But what does a history with a bunch of the that none of these players had anything to do with for the most part actually tell you about this game? It just makes me sure. laugh sometimes that. Yeah, you know, they, they've struggled with, especially in the one-and-done era of college basketball. Yeah, they've, they've had a tough time and, in the, against Kansas in the Champions Classic. Um, And then not to mention that the, neither coach that's <laughs> the acting or right. actual head coach of these teams in this game has ever been the head coach in a Champions Classic. That game. too, yeah. Um, but but I'm putting all my stock in the in the in the history of it. I'm putting all my stock in it. Um, I'm going to go Duke. I'm going much closer than that. Um, I'll go 72-70. Okay. I think that one will be for for seventy two is by far my favorite number to use in predictions. <laughs> I just used it twice. I just used it twice. Hey, only I wasn't so predictable. You you got a good shot if somebody wins with seventy two points. This is true. This is true. Um, all righty. Anything else on this week? Anything else you're looking you're looking for? Of course, we have some other intriguing basketball games that are coming later in the week. Um, as some of these top teams play, go toe to toe with each other. Anything else you're kind of looking out for? Yeah, I'm just excited to to get some of these and, and to use our alma mater as an example. Some of these sort of bubble teams, teams that if they win this next game, the first real test could really be onto something. Penn State Butler is one of those perfect examples of that for me. I'm really looking yeah. forward to that game for that reason, yeah. and. So you get a lot of those in the Gavit games, and that's kind of what we're starting to get this week is some interesting – it's not necessarily you know top 25 matchups, but from a are these teams legitimate NCAA title or NCAA tournament contenders mm-hmm. really going to put themselves at least on the bubble and keep themselves in the conversation? That's mm-hmm. one of the things I'm looking forward to this week is I feel like there are a lot of those kind of games. Yeah, and, and, and Butler and Penn State in particular, those are both two teams I feel like – were trendy sleeper picks in their conference. Yep. Um, I mean, the obvious reasons for, for Thad Mata's Butler team, um, Penn State, one of the best players in the country, not in the country, in, in the Big Ten, um, in Jalen Pickett. Um, it's, as a result, right, those two teams have maybe, they're in positions to maybe to maybe overachieve a little bit. And, having those two teams go against each other, I think will be a nice measuring stick. Um, no like complete tippity top of the spectrum games coming out of the Gavit games from a national perspective, but still some good ones, some intriguing ones that will, that will kind of keep an eye on throughout the week. But um, then in the middle of the week, right, you have Texas and Gonzaga. Um, that one, of course, kind of the, the cream of the crop, uh, along with the Champions Classic, that one's on Wednesday, and um, so we'll of course react to that one when we can, when we meet again on Thursday. 
Uh, we will react to that one as well. Just to finish out the week, to do my due diligence, uh, Virginia takes on Baylor at the end of this week um, at at T-Mobile Arena. Um, suppose you know thoughts and prayers to the Virginia community. Um, just an absolutely horrible situation um, at the University of Virginia over the weekend. That um, so certainly thoughts and prayers yes. there as they kind of continue their season. Um, their game against Northern uh, against Northern Iowa was canceled today. Um, that was supposed to be played tonight um, on Monday. So of course thoughts and prayers to to that community and of course the victims of some some gun violence there in um, in Charlottesville. But and then you get the we cap the week off with Kentucky and Gonzaga. Um, Anytime you ever hear anybody in the middle of non of conference play talk about Gonzaga not playing anybody, you bring them back to the seven days, right? I just told. I mean, they played Michigan State on Friday, they played Texas on Wednesday, <laughs> and they play Kentucky on Sunday. Yep. I mean, I'm not sure what else you want, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not sure what else you want. Yeah. I no, mean, no. this is very simple. Gonzaga just plays their high major conference schedule first. Yeah, and then plays what you usually consider a non-conference schedule. Does it give you exactly what you get when you're a Big Ten team that plays in the Big Ten and then challenges yourself non-conference? No, it's not quite that. But this idea that Gonzaga doesn't play anybody is ridiculous and has been ridiculous. To your point, they, oh, and they still and they still have Baylor and Alabama on the schedule. Right, it's well. not like it's just a seven-day stretch. They play five plus top twenty-five teams consistently in non-conference. Yeah, mm-hmm. this idea that the schedule isn't good is preposterous. I and the reason that because they haven't seen the best competition. No, they have. And, and I believe, and I don't have the I don't have the PK eighty bracket right in front of me. But they play Portland State in the in in the PK Legacy over Thanksgiving weekend, and there are other good basketball teams in that tournament. So assuming that they win games in that tournament, like we're expecting them to. They should add even more high quality games to their yeah. schedule with with the other teams that are in that are in that field. Yes. So they play something close to a high major schedule. And they play more really good teams than just about anybody in the country. Yep. Anyways, thank you for thank you for joining me on a on a Gonzaga strength of schedule soapbox for a moment. I got your um, back. I believe that's all we got. You got anything else? No. All Let's right. play some basketball. Let's- Let's get out of here um, and go watch some more basketball. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, um, TikTok, YouTube, Jays for Days Pod. Just search it up. You can find all of it. Um, full podcasts on the YouTube channel, bite-sized pieces of content on the TikTok, um, all of those things in all the various different places um, to to enjoy the Jays for Days podcast and various on various platforms thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jace for jace podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you 